The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. All right. Good morning, church, man. How are you guys doing? Man, Sean was playing so hard, he broke the strings on his guitar. Man, we played it. You played it smooth, though, man. You played it smooth. Good job. No, the band was awesome. Um, I want to be the first to welcome you if you're uh, watching online. Uh, man, welcome. Thanks for joining us or certainly here on campus uh, in person, man. What a blessing it is to see you. Um, this is your first time. Uh, I see some new faces. I want to be the first to welcome you. Thanks for joining. We're so glad uh, that you are here and uh, anyway, I'm Pastor Shea. I'm associate pastor on staff. For those of you that don't know, um, uh, Mr. Jimmy, Pastor Jimmy, uh, our senior pastor here, is in Idaho right now with our good buddy Eric. He's uh, uh, hopefully chasing some bugling elk around the, the mountains right now. So I, I, I talked to him once or twice, and um, they, uh, I know they're having a great time. They said the weather's been amazing. So uh, this week, uh, the, the pulpit is mine, and, and we've got a lot of ground to cover. So we're in this series um, majoring in the minors, okay? We're, we're majoring in the minor prophets. And um, there's, a, there's a, a lot of them, actually. Uh, I didn't number them or count them. But uh, right there, literally right in the center of your Bible, uh, you will find these minor prophets. Uh, and they're minor in the sense that they are short um, in grammatical length. Um, but they are by no means minor um, in the word that is that they bring, right? And so God um, used prophets uh, in the Old Testament um, to share uh, His heart with the people of God, um, and He preserved it and canonized it in Scripture. Uh, to package it and preserve it for us today. The, the word of the Lord is just as valuable today for the Christian sitting in the church at OPCC as it was for the people of Israel in the day of Nahum or uh, you'll read, unfortunately, for the uh, great city of Nineveh. Um, the word is just as clear, just as relevant, and just as impactful um, for us today. And so... We're going to be in the book of Nahum, okay? The book of Nahum. It's right after Micah and just before Habakkuk, okay? So I'll give you a minute to turn there. Uh, there's only a few pages, and Bible pages are awfully thin, so sometimes it's easy to, to um, breeze over it. But uh, we are, we're going to talk today, man, about um, the prophet Nahum that God raised up uh, to really speak a stern word to the city of Nineveh, okay? We're all familiar with Nineveh. Nineveh is, is the, uh, the great Assyrian city, uh, in, in, I believe is in present-day Turkey. Uh, don't hold me to that, but I'm, I know it's close. And uh, anyways, the, um, uh, the, the Ninevites um, were... Uh, had historically been a wicked people, right? Which is why Jonah didn't want to go and preach to them, right? Jonah's heart was hard towards the Assyrian people, especially the Ninevites, um, because they were incredibly wicked and cruel towards the people of God. Now, we all know uh, Pastor Jimmy led us through the book of Jonah, and we're all familiar with the story. You get swallowed by the great fish and spit up, um, literally vomited upon the beaches of Nineveh, and Jonah um, is, uh, in a sense, you, you could call forcefully faithful to go and preach the, go the gospel, preach the good news to the king uh, of Nineveh, man. And, and one of the greatest, uh, some would argue, the largest revival in human history happens in the town or the, si the great city of Nineveh, man. It said that a great number of them were saved. Practically the entire city uh, was saved through the preaching and teaching of the gospel from Jonah to the king, and it was evangelized out from there. Now Nahum, this prophet, is speaking uh, roughly between 100 and 150 years after the great revival of Nineveh during the time of Jonah, okay? So that's, that's a little context here. This prophecy is given to two groups of people. One are the Israelites through the, the tribe of Judah, 
and the other is to the people of Nineveh. And it is a stiff word, but we're going to see um, some encouragement here, and we're going to cover a lot of ground. I'm just I'm warning you now. Uh, we're going to get into a lot of text, um, but I see no reason to back down from that. It is the word of the Lord, and uh, even the Jews believed, the, the, the Pharisees of the day, if they got anything right, they believed that every what they called a yote and tittle of the scripture was inspired. Every dotting of the I, every crossing of the T, every part of the word of God was inspired by him and profitable to us. Therefore, I'm going to read every word of the book of Nahum for you guys this morning, okay? So I hope you're ready. And, and honestly, if we've got time, we're going to read a little bit more uh, because as the more I read it, the more it reminded me of other parts of scripture like Isaiah and Hosea and Jeremiah, etc., Micah. This the theme of the heart of God towards sinful people, but yet has a plan of redemption is consistent. And we're gonna see that here. So join me for a wild ride here. Chapter one, verse one, the book of Nahum. Here we go. This is a prophecy. Concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. I have no idea what an Elkishite is. There's literally zero history about these Elkishite people. But Nahum, nonetheless, God saw it fitting to preserve um, this word. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God, verse 2. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. Thank God. The Lord is slow to anger. I want you to circle this in your Bible. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. I want to pause there real quick, man. That is such a good word. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. Man, thank God that his character, this, this is a description of the character of God. And first it says in verse 2 that he's a jealous and avenging God. Now we look, jealousy, like, you know, so most of you know by now, if you know me, if you don't, I am a pastor uh, here on staff part-time, uh, it, it, it's full-time, but it's uh, part-time by definition, and I sell real estate. Uh, and I'm in the land business. And so there's times where I um, s represent a, a buyer or a seller um, in the purchase or the sell of their farm. And I, in my sinful nature, will have a jealous heart because they're buying like an unbelievable farm, right? It's got a nice house on it with a big 15-acre lake and a bunch of woods to hunt in and a creek running through it and ducks flying over. And I'm like, whoa. Man, this place is a dream, man. It's awesome. And like a little part of me, like in my sinful flesh, is like, I'm jealous. I'm like, man, this guy inherited three million bucks and he just put it down on a killer farm, you know? Like that's jealousy. That's not the kind of jealousy we're talking about here in the scripture. The, the jealousy like um, is, 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 the, is, is very hard to describe um, the jealous uh, characteristics of God, but he's, he's jealous for the things that, that, that draw our attention that he knows are not healthy for us. That's what he's jealous for. Like, like when, when we're lured by the things of the flesh, whether it's temptations uh, that are, or just sinful activities or thoughts um, or, or inappropriate behaviors, anything that we lust for or find pleasure in um, or find refuge in that's not himself, he's jealous for that. Like it makes him jealous. Um, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible quality uh, that describes the characteristic of our God. And he's an avenging God. Like um, I was listening to a, a song this morning called Come Jesus Come. And it's, I've never heard it before. I just was playing on my playlist as I was getting ready. And I was listening to the words and it was awesome. It was reminding me about um, 
that the Christian is to look forward to the return of Christ, right? And, um, but a part of the return of Christ um, is that Jesus will avenge the blood of his enemies. Like that's an important part, that's an important prophecy of what Jesus will do when he comes back as, as, as a second time, right? He, he first came as a suffering servant, right? Uh, as the savior of the world, then he will come back as a conquering king. And part of the conquering king um, is to avenge the blood of his enemies enemies and so he's jealous for for us and, and and frustrated by our enemies those that draw us away from him but it says the Lord is slow to anger but great in power man I love that like thank God that he's slow to anger because like I'm sinful and I fall short of the glory of God not intentionally but through my sin nature but God's not quick to like Pop me over the head, right? Like I shared in another sermon. Like God's not like a whack-a-mole, you know, where it's like my sin pokes its head out. And he's like, wham, you know. He doesn't do that. He's, he's slow to anger. Like he, he communicates to me, man, Shay, this, this area in your life needs some work, brother. You work on this area in your life. And he keeps pressing and he keeps pressing and he shows me and he teaches me and he loves me and he's, he's, he's faithful. The Holy Spirit will um, uh, convict me and sh and of my sin and he'll give me abundant opportunities to repent and turn. Abundant. And he does that with me, does that with you. He's done that with the nation of Israel. He's done it with the city of Nineveh, which you'll see. He's slow to anger. But he is not slack in his power. He is great in power. And he is an unwavering God. He is not weak. He is great in power. The world, unfortunately, has painted through lack of knowledge of the scriptures and a lack of an understanding of a relationship with God. They have painted him out to be a soft and weak God. And he is not. He is great in power. He will not leave the guilty unpunished. He is a God of justice, 100%. Like he doesn't give anybody a pass. The stain of sin is death, period. That's what it produces, and he doesn't waver from that. And thank God, his character is flawless. That's really important. His character is flawless. His way is in the whirlwind, I'm finishing verse three, in the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence. The world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation and who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. Man, it sounds strong and heavy, but it's good. It's good that it's strong and heavy. It, 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 it shows us that like the God of the universe, man, is, is um, that, that like that he is, he, God communicates to us like his control, his sovereignty, right? And just, I'm reminded, this wasn't in my notes, but I'm just, I'm reminded, speaking of, of Carmel, he's talking about um, the river Carmel here, but Mount Carmel was where uh, Elijah, right, called down the fire from heaven, right? And he said, uh, he was there with the other um, people uh, of the day, and they were worshiping other gods, right? And they were trying to figure out which god was the real true god of the universe, the real creator god, the real god that intended to save a human humanity through his son Jesus and and these guys are calling on their gods and doing these dances and singing these songs and 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 Elijah's like where's your god is he sleeping is he on the toilet is he taking a nap right and he's like I'll show you my god and he's like god call down the fire from heaven and boom man like literally a lightning strike strikes the bull and it lights the whole place up sets the entire place on fire and Elijah was like see told you boys that is God. And that's kind of what Nahum's getting at here, man. It's just like, this is not some weak little God where we put him on the shelf, man. This is the, the all-consuming fire, man. That's who we're talking about. God himself. In verse 7, the Lord is good. Like Sean was leading us in that song. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. A refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. I put a star in my Bible right there. Anytime there's a promise of God, I put a little star next to it. I would encourage you to do the same. But there's a contingency here. 
But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. Now, as we continue to read, I want you to see a parallel between the nation of Israel or the the people of, of, of Judah and the Ninevites, okay? And it's an exact picture of people that are walking in the fear of the Lord and the people that aren't. Now, I'm not talking about saved or not saved. Remember, Nineveh is a city that had a greatest revival at this time, certainly in human history. They were accountable to the knowledge of God. They were aware their whole city had been revived. They had been been um, aware of the goodness of God, the one true God. And so they're not without excuse here. We're not talking about an, a, an unbelieving people that, that had zero knowledge of God. We're not talking about a people that are on the island of Papua New Guinea that you know don't speak some language that anyone else understands and they've never heard the gospel. That, that's not what we're talking about here, man. We're talking about a, 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 he is prophesying to a people group that should be outrageously accountable to knowing the good news. And that's every person on uh, planet Earth today. Everyone's accountable to the good news, especially those in America, right? We got a church on every corner and a Bible in every bookstore, practically. And uh, we're all accountable, right? And so this message is also not just about Judah and Nineveh, but it's about those who believe that are walking in faith and in favor of God and those who have believed but not walking in the favor of God. That's really important. We're talking about Christians here, one walking in favor, one walking outside of the favor. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. Verse 10, they will be entangled among thorns and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. Remember elsewhere in the scriptures it says God is the all-consuming fire. The things that are worthless to him will be burned like wood, hay, and stubble. They'll be consumed immediately. When we go to be in the presence of God, when we, when we are either raptured through the great event the Bible describes out about the rapture, or if we're personally raptured, meaning the Lord calls us home uh, prior to that great day, when we go in and be with the Lord face to face on the day of judgment, we will pass through, like we will not be judged. Our sin was paid for at the cross of Calvary when we placed our faith in him, but all the things that we did in our life that were not of any kingdom value will be as wood, hay, and stubble immediately burned and consumed. And the, the, the things that will last forever are the precious stones. Those are, the, uh, those are synonymous to the things that we've done that actually advanced uh, the kingdom of God that had eternal value and not earthly value. And so it says that uh, they'll be entangled among thorns, drunk from wine, and they will be consumed like dry stubble. From you, Nineveh, has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and devises wicked plans. This is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they'll be destroyed and pass away. Although I've afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. So he says, I'm going to afflict Nineveh, Judah, I'm going to spare you. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. He's, he's talking about delivering Judah from the Assyrian troubles, the, the troubles that Nineveh has brought upon them. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave for you are vile. I'll put in my margin here, like the application there for us, the present day Christian is, man, if you're walking in deadness apart from God, you, you may be saved or have the knowledge of God or been exposed to the gospel, but you're just living a dead life. Like he says, I, I will prepare your grave. You're vile. You're, you are not producing any fruit. You are, you are absolutely fruitless. And it says, you'll have no descendants to bear your name. Like you, you, there's, you're not making disciples. Like, there's not going to be anyone behind you to carry on the good news of the gospel. Like, you haven't sown those seeds. You will reap what you sow. And if you haven't sown anything, you won't reap anything. All right? It's common sense. Look, he says, they're, they're on the mountains. The feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely 
destroyed. Somebody needs to hear a word from the Lord today out of the book of Nahum that although it seems like gloom and doom in the book of Nahum, <laughs> joke from Corey, uh, it's not. It's, it's really uh, tucked in here are these blessings of good news that God is promising, which he's faithful to do, to deliver Judah. Now, God's speaking a harsh word to Nineveh, and somebody needs to listen up about what God's speaking to Nineveh and respond. But somebody also needs to hear today that um, the good news, like, open your eyes, like, look on the mountains, like, the, there's the blessing, uh, you know, blessed are the feet of the one who bring the good news, man, like, the the good news of Jesus and what he offers you and I through salvation and, and the filling of the Holy Spirit to walk in power over sin and death day by day, like that's for you and it's for I. And we shouldn't take that for granted. Some of us may be in a battle we feel like we're not going to get out. Jesus is your way out. An attacker advances against you, Nineveh. Guard the fortress, watch the road, brace yourselves, marshal all your strength. The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob. Another promise. Like the splendor of Israel, though destroyers have laid them waste and ruined their vines. Maybe you're feeling like some sin in your life or the sin of someone else has laid waste uh, uh, or ruined the vines in your life. That is not true. The Lord can restore that splendor. What things that man has broken, God can restore. The shields of the soldiers are red. The warriors are clad in scarlet. The metal on the chariots flashes uh, on the day they are made ready. The spears of juniper are brandished. The chariots storm through the streets, rushing back and forth through the squares. They look like flaming torches. They dart about like lightning. Nineveh summons her picked troops, yet they stumble on their way. It's like, I'm reminded, man, this is like people, it's like, He's describing the Christian that like, tries to set up his life, kind of how he designs and how he wants to. And, and, and then when he, you know, he's, he's got all these assets and all this insurance and all these things and whatever. And then you know, when, some, when a catastrophe happens, he calls the insurance agent. And the insurance agent's like, sorry, bro, it ain't covered. You're, you're like, wait, what? You know? He's like, no, man, that's not in the policy. Should have read the fine print, right? That's kind of what he's talking about here is like, Man, Nineveh's tried to set up this life for themselves, and, 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 but, but their plan is not working out for them. The people that they've put in place as, as uh, uh, safe bear, safeguards um, to protect them in their plan, they're not working out. They're, they're stumbling. They dash to the city wall. The protective shield is put in place. The river gates are thrown open, and the palace collapses. Like, things are falling apart. It is decreed that Nineveh be exiled and carried away. Her female slaves moan like doves and beat on their breasts. Nineveh is like a pool whose water is drowning away. Oh, it's like, I, I, the, when I, I've had moments in my life where I remember when I first met Jesus and it became real to me that Jesus wasn't a mythical figure, that he wasn't just a, a statue or, or a, some little symbol on a necklace but that he was really my savior and he was really the God of the world and that he wanted to live inside of me. I remember that my, my, the day of my salvation, man, it was like my, my empty pool of my life was like filled up immediately, like to the top. But man, what happens over time, if you don't, main, if you don't clean your pool, the water gets dirty and if you don't keep, the structure will start to crack and break. And next thing you know, that nice pool that you had of clean living water uh, that is Christ in you and the joy of the Lord will start to fade away. Like, don't let that happen. It's happened to me and it has happened to you, but don't let it happen. Like, May that not be so. It doesn't have to be like that. Like you once were filled with the joy of the Lord, but over time, man, it's just the water, your pool is getting empty. It says, stop, stop, they cry, but no one turns back. Plunder the silver and the plunder the gold. The supply is endless, the wealth from all its treasures. She is pillaged, plundered, and stripped. Hearts melt, knees give way. Bodies tremble, every face grows pale. Where now is the lion's den, the place where they fed their young? 
where the lion and the lioness went and the cubs with nothing to fear. The lion killed enough for his cubs and strangled the prey for his mate, filling his lairs with the kill and his dens with the prey. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. It's God speaking through the prophet to Nineveh. He says, I'm against you. I will burn up your chariots in smoke, and the sword will devour your young lions. I will leave you no prey on the earth. He's speaking of starvation. Man, there are people, there are someone in this church, there may be someone online, maybe many of you, you're experiencing some spiritual starvation. You may be saved. You're just starving spiritually. Things are drying up in your life, man. Sit up in your seat like this is for you. The voices of your messengers will no longer be heard. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries, who enslaved nations by her prostitution and people by her witchcraft. Man, can I just throw a little personal nugget in here that like, I was personally a victim to, to sorcery. Like, sor- like sorcery is not some like, you know, Worlds of Warcraft video game or some, I don't know what you, some, you know, sci-fi um, movie. Man, sorcery is, can be as simple as like altering anything that you engage in that alters your mind in an unhealthy way and chokes off the flow of the Spirit of God in your life is sorcery. That's pretty heavy. And like for me, it was, it was, it was smoking weed. It was marijuana. Like can I just be, can, can be honest and vulnerable with you guys? Marijuana or any other drug of any kind is sorcery. It cuts off the flow of the Spirit of God to move in your life and to control you how he wants to control you. You're basically burning that off and replacing your thoughts into the hands and control of a drug that you can't slow down until the high wears off. That's sorcery. Just in case anyone needed clarity, that is from the Lord. It's not from me. Anybody that wants to know more about my story, I'm happy to share it. And it certainly went well beyond the, the recreational use of marijuana. But, man, it just the world needs clarity around some of these things. Like the, people say, man, the marijuana is not in the Bible. It is. Look it up. And, and if you think that, that you're not impacted by this use, this recreational use of something that makes you happy, you're deceiving yourself. You're immediately searing off the work of the Spirit of God in you, and you're like exposing yourself to whatever that drug might lead you to think. And that is not how God intends you to live. That is an example of sorcery. There are many others. This nation has a drug problem. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will pelt you with filth. I will treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. It's interesting, man. Some people don't think that God is a fair God in the sense that in the Old Testament particularly, God makes an example of people. He does. And in the New Testament, he does as well. He makes examples of people. But it's not because he's not loving. It's not because he's impure. It's because he is God. And he is the potter, and he can make a vessel however he desires. It is up to him. We are not to discern that. And it's important that God, we are so blessed, guys. We are so blessed as the church to have the nation of Israel and their enemies as a model for us to look into so that we don't stumble in the same ways that they did or deal with some of the same things that they did. God is is indeed um, gracious to us. All who 
See, you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is in ruins. Who will mourn for her? Where can I find anyone to comfort you? Are you better than Thebes, situated on the Nile with water around her? The river was her defense. The waters were her wall. Cush and Egypt were her boundless strength. Put and Libya were among her allies. So they had had everything going for them, right? They had put everything in their lives in place, yet she was taken captive and went into exile. Her infants were dashed to pieces at every street corner. Lots were cast for her nobles, and all of her great men were put in chains. You too will become drunk and go into hiding and seek refuge from the enemy. All your fortresses... Like all these things in your life that you have propped up to protect you and shield you with their first ripe fruit. When they are shaken, those figs fall into the mouths of the eater. Man, it's so true. Like like we can build up these things in our lives that we think protect us or shield us. And it could be a number of things. It could be um, the friends that we put around us. It could be the things we spend our money on. It could be the, the, a number of, the, where we find joy and pleasure. <clears throat> the truth is, if that thing is getting in the way of us knowing and growing in Christ, God will take it away. And the things that used to pleasure us, the tree that we used to eat from, God will shake it and the fruit will fall into someone else's mouth. Some of your trees are getting shaken today. Mine is. He says, look at your troops in verse 13. They are all weaklings. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has consumed the bars of your gates. Listen, this is a call to action here. What I want you to hear too is God is giving Nineveh, he's giving them a stiff word, man. He is saying, I am against you and I'm going to destroy you but I'm going to give you an opportunity to repent. I'm going to give you an opportunity to repent, but if you don't, here's what's coming. Here's what he says. Draw water for the siege. Strengthen your defenses. Work the clay. Tread the mortar. Tread the mortar. Repair the brickwork. He's like saying, man, fix the broken things in your life. There the fire will consume you. The sword will cut you down. They will devour you like a swarm of locusts. Multiply like grasshoppers. Multiply like locusts. You have increased the number of your merchants until they are more numerous than the stars in the sky. But like locusts, they strip the land and then fly away. Your guards like locusts, your officials like swarms of locusts that settle in the walls on a cold day. But when the sun appears, they fly away and no one knows where. King of Assyria, your shepherds slumber. Your nobles lie down to sleep. Your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? Man, Nahum, calm down, man. No. It's awesome. It's, it's, it's hard, man. It's difficult to read that and go, man, is that God? Yes. Yes, it is. It is him. Do not be deceived. And, and I want to read, man. I, I was sitting there going, and I read this like a dozen times the last two weeks, and I thought, hmm, Lord, you know, this, it doesn't come out real smooth, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's like the, um, I'm reminded of, of the other prophets in Scripture. Um, and I'm going to read some of them. And like I said, we're going to cover a lot of text. Um, but I want you guys to hear a consistency from the Lord through the prophets that it was the same message has been communicated for all of eternity. Since God has been speaking to, to mankind, the message is the same And as I'm reading this, I want you to ask yourself a few questions. As we just read through Nahum, we're going to get into Isaiah. We're going to read it from Jeremiah. Just snippets, not the whole thing. Don't worry. Didn't want all you running out. Uh, But ask yourself these questions. Am I disobeying God? Just am I disobeying God? doesn't have to be like entirely. Maybe it is. But even just in an area of your life. Like Jesus said, man, where, where, like, where do you need to die to yourself? What needs to change in your life? These are questions you need to ask yourself as we're reading the prophets. Where, but 
where in the prophecy do you see God's mercy and his grace and his forgiveness? Like we saw in Nahum, God offers a, a, a way out. He says, Judah, you, you turn to me, you will be spared from the wickedness of Nineveh. Nineveh, you don't turn to me, you do your own thing, you will be judged. It's, that's the simple message. And so where do you see God's mercy and grace and forgiveness in your life? I also want you to see, like, what is God's heart towards sinful people? The world has painted God out to be like a big softy, and he's not. He is love, and he's full of love, but his character is also immovable, unchangeable, and impenetrable, regardless of what we believe. And so what is his heart towards sinful people? And then what has God promised you since belonging to Jesus? You are given a set of promises since you belong to Jesus. What are they? Now join me as we read into some, I want to turn with me if you would to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. I'll give you a second to turn there. But we're going to read in a few other examples that I had found and noticed in the Old Testament where this message of Nahum, that from the, the message from God to Nineveh through the prophet Nahum, this is the same, exact. there's such a consistency across the board. So Isaiah chapter 1, we'll start in verse 2 and we'll go through 20. This pretty much sums up the message of the prophets, okay? If you ever want to know what are the prophets about, we're majoring in the minors. The major thing with all of the prophets, the minors included, is pretty much summed up right here. Join me. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they've rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey knows its manger, I'm sorry, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know my people do not understand. See, God's saying that he's made himself known to the people, yet they still don't understand. That's what God's saying to us. I've made myself known to you guys, yet you still lack understanding. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Now, it would be so easy for me to sit up here and preach about America. I mean, this is so fitting for our country and our culture right now, it's not even funny. But I wanted to make a more personal application, like, the problems in our world start in the heart of every human, not in the White House, okay? So we've got to look inward. Now, yes, he's talking about a rebellious nation here, but each person is also symbolic of the, the nation of Israel is a, is a symbol of how we are to live and ex, our experience before a holy God. So look inward. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there's no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. Your country is desolate and cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right beside you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. Daughter Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a cucumber field, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom and like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God. You people of Gomorrah, the multitude of your sacrifices. Listen, listen to this, guys. There's, there's some of us there are Christians in this church and in other churches and across the world that are living a lie that they believe that they're bringing sacrifices to God that are pleasing to him. You realize for the New Testament saint, the only sacrifice pleasing to God is his son Jesus on the cross? 
and that your faith is in him and that his spirit lives in you and you live out the things of the kingdom in your life, that's the only sacrifice or offering that's pleasing to him. Now, there are things that God asks of us, like our tithe and, and our heart and our daily time to abide in him and these things. But what I mean is people are sacrificing things to him like, you know, um, believing that they're earning the favor of God. You can't earn the favor of God. It was earned on the cross when you put your faith in Christ and believed upon him as your savior, not yourself. So listen to this. He says, Verse 11, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations, I can't bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feast and your appointed festivals, I hate it with all my being. We're, this is God talking. This is Shay didn't write this. This is the Lord. He says, they have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. I hear this so often from people like they're trying to walk um, they're, again, they're trying to walk out their, their uh, the spiritual lives in the favor of God, and they're like, oh. they justify their sin to themselves by saying, yeah, but I went to church at Christmas, you know, I went, I went on Easter, and, and I got baptized when I was 10, and, and, and you know, I, the, the one time the plate came by me at church, I threw my, my little money in there, and like, you know, it's like, man, I, I tucked in my shirt, you know, when I went to that one church, that's, that's what people think, that they think that way. And they're, you know, and they're like, well, I, I, I went to my grandma's funeral, you know, and I sang and I cried and I shook the pastor's hand. That's, people think that these things are pleasing to God. They're not. Not in terms of your salvation. God wants your heart and for you to live for him. He says, man, I'm just not listening. And like, there's such a difference between prayers and thoughts. Like a lot of times we think about things and we pretend that we've actually prayed about them. That happens all the time. I'm so guilty of that. Like I'll be like, Lord, I've been praying about that. And he'll be like, no, you hadn't, bro. You've been thinking about it. But you have not prayed about it. That's why when we say to somebody, our thoughts and prayers are with you, they're different. You can think about someone, but like Jimmy said last week that really hit me home, I was convicted. Prayer is work. It's work. And there's a thought, it doesn't, Take any work to think. Thinking is like resting, right? It's like, you know, my wife always says when she's chasing the four kids around, I just need some time to think, right? <laughs> thinking is resting. But prayer is work. Wash and make yourselves clean, verse 16. Take your evil deeds out of my sight and stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Listen to verse 18. This is where the meat is. He says, come now, let us settle the matter. God is saying, I sh told you what the problem was. Now let's settle it. It's like, it's like me talking with my son. You know what? And reading through these, these scriptures, man, reading through the prophets gives me, I take a little pressure off myself sometimes. Like when I'm talking to my kids and I'm like, charged up a little bit in, in some righteous anger, you know? And I'm like, no, your mother said that you've been bad, you didn't clean your room, you, there's food all over the floor, you didn't feed the dog, you know, let's settle this right now. You aren't listening and you're going to your room, right? It's like, and, I, and, and part of me is like, oh man, I feel bad, you know? I mean, I need to tell him Jesus loves him and all this. And it's like, dude, I've already done that. They know that. There's, there's punishment, man, for their sin. They have dropped the ball. They have not listened. They're living in rebellion, and they need to know it. And I don't have to come down on them like hard, like in a, in a sinful, angry way, but in a righteous, angry way, I can say, man, look, you're not doing the things that I've asked you to do. Go to your room. God's saying that here. You're, you're not doing the things I've asked you to do, but let's settle the matter. And this is good news. This is the gospel summed up. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Here's the big if. If you're willing and obedient, 
you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I mean, that just sums it up right there. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. Uh, as Jimmy's in, in uh, Idaho right now, we, we actually have the verse, where's the hallway? Right over here, going down to the kids' ministry. It's Psalm 73. It's like, you know, uh, the Lord is, is um, radiant with light, more majestic than mountains rich with game, right? And that's like one of our favorite, we like to hunt, and that was one of our favorite verses. But such a powerful verse, man. I mean, you look, uh, in a, you know, you're in Idaho, and you look out over a meadow, and you see hundreds of elk, and you think, wow, man, that's amazing. And the Lord is more radiant than that. Any, any mountain rich with game, but he says um, um, that you will eat the good things of the land. Like the, the, the promised land in the scriptures are symbolic of a person walking in the spirit. As, as the Israel would cross the Jordan and went into the promised land that God told them that they would uh, possess, he, he asked them to do things like destroy the enemies and like set up shop in certain places and the instructions of the tabernacle and how to facilitate worship. And he does the same thing for us. In order to live the promised life, in order to eat of the fruit of the land that God has promised, we got to follow his ways and not our own. I took some notes here, and I don't even know what time it is, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to land this plane. I'll ask Sean to, to come up. But I wanted to just highlight or summarize. There's many other examples in, in the Old Testament. And if you're taking notes, I want to go ahead and give you these real quick. Jeremiah 18, 1 through 11. It'd be good for you to read that. Jeremiah 18, 1 through 11. It'd be good for you to read Hosea 13 and 14. And it also would be really good for you to read Micah 6, 1 through 8. And I feel the Lord telling me to not skip that one. And so we're going to read it. Micah 6, 1 through 8. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up and plead my case before the mountains. This is Micah 6. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting fountains of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. <laughs> oh. Sometimes when I don't want to do what the Lord's asked me to do, I can hear him going, why not? What what have I done to you? And I have no response, and I hear him saying, what to, like he said to Micah, answer me. Like, what have I done to you that you don't want to do what I've asked you to do? The answer is nothing, Lord. I'm sorry. I repent, Lord. I want to do what you've asked me to do. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. He did that for us, Right? He brought us out of sin. He's redeemed us from our brokenness. He said, I sent Moses to lead you and Aaron and Miriam. He sent people in our lives to show us the good news. I know there was a man faithful enough to present the gospel to me and share the, the, the truths of the word of God to Molly and I for, for three years. He poured his life into us, made disciples. God is faithful I didn't pay for him to show up in my life. God sent him. Just like God sent Moses and Aaron and Miriam. He says, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Guys, remember the good things God's done in your life. We've got to remember all of the things the Lord has done. If you can't remember them, journal them. And reread your journal once a month to be reminded of all that God has done for you. It's so important. We're so quick to forget. I'm the guiltiest of these, Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves that are a year old, 
Will the Lord be pleased with these thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Circle verse eight here. He says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? It's right here. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's all he's asking of us, guys. He is a heavy-handed God. And I'm thankful for that. Because the enemies in my life, he is going to avenge. And I'm grateful for that. It's like on the playground as a, little, as a kid, you know, you get in a scuffle with little Johnny, you know, and you're like, man, little Johnny's going to pop my nose, but man, my big brother, when the time is right, is going to come clean the house on this little Johnny. And I'm thankful for that big brother, right, in, in that moment. That's how God is, but he's immeasurably bigger and better than that example, but you get my point. One day, man, God will just destroy all the things that trip us up. I am so frustrated by my sin. I'm frustrated by the sin in the world, but I contribute to it. So that's why I need to look inward and ask the Lord to help me. But what does he require of me to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him? Would you join me in prayer? Lord, would you help us do that? Would you help us do what you've asked us to do? We are so grateful for you, Lord, that as we read about in the, in the scriptures, and Lord, I could have spent hours up here reading from the prophets and the, and the judgment and the punishment that comes down on the wickedness of mankind, Lord, like you do not, you do not uh, approve of sin, Lord. But that's why you sent your son, and we are so grateful, Lord, that we can be found in him, that salvation is from him, Lord, and only in him are we free. And thank God for that. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.